Praise God. We are going to be talking about adoption tonight. Um, If you got your Bibles, grab them. Galatians 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, If you don't have them, don't worry about it. We're going to throw the text up on the screen. one of, uh, one of the things, if, man, you're, you're joining us tonight and maybe you hadn't been a part of us for a while or, uh, or this is your first time, all that kind of thing, what we do is we believe in the Bible. Uh, we believe it's powerful. We believe that it's going to be what brings about change, not me, not the right songs, not Casey. Um, it's, it's about what the Word of God says and the Holy Spirit using it in our lives. So that's our hope. That's our only hope. Uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians. Uh, we have gotten through the first almost three chapters Uh, And one of the big places that this book has taken us to is the truth that we are justified by grace through faith. And so up to this point in Galatians, in the first three chapters, we really see the author of the book, Paul, laying out this really clear truth over and over and over again, communicating this truth that we are justified by grace through faith. That's a sentence with a lot of churchy words. Let Let me unpack it a little bit. Justified by grace through truth. The idea of being justified is the idea that we are made right with God. It's the idea, this Christianese word, that means that, yes, we're okay with a holy and righteous God. Um, Somebody has said that it's God's forgiveness of our past together with his acceptance for our future. It's God's forgiveness of our past together with his acceptance of our future, our imperfect future that we have yet to screw up, that is only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ. That justification, that right relationship is only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus. Jesus was sent 2,000 years ago, God in the flesh, to die for the sins of the world, to die for your sins and my sins, and to carry the weight of that sin, and to pay the penalty that I deserve and you deserve. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The death, burial, and resurrection of our God made man to carry what we deserved. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Um, And that is a really, really big deal. Justification, so I want you to hear me. Justification is the primary and and fundamental blessing of the gospel. There's no doubt about it. But where we're going tonight in the idea of adoption I would say adoption is the sweetest blessing of the gospel. I would say adoption is the greatest gift that comes along with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where we're going tonight. Justification is this legal picture, right? If we, if we think about justification, it kind of becomes this legal, um, this, this legal battle where we stand before a good and holy judge, and that judge then pronounces, um, if we are in Christ, that we should be guilty, but because of Christ's imputed because of Christ's blessing over us, his covering over our sin, because of that, we get the not guilty verdict. And that's what justification looks like. But adoption is that judge getting off the bench, walking down to us, unshackling our feet, unshackling our hands, grabbing us by the shoulder and saying, you are not guilty. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You're coming home with me. That is the beauty of adoption. It's built from the premise of justification, but that is the beauty of adoption. And man, as I've been studying this the last, even just a few days, it has rocked me and convicted me so much that I, as a believer, am not walking in the fullness of my adoption as a son of a holy God. 
Sure, I get justification right, I'm good, you and me are good, but I'm not walking in the identity of being a son of a holy, holy God. And, uh, and so that's where we're going tonight. Uh, that's what we got to look forward to. And the thing with that um, that's a little tricky is I have, uh, I have no ability. I have no ability uh, to really convince you guys of that. I have no ability up here in the next 30 minutes to really produce change in your heart. But I really, really want that for you. I really do. I've been praying for you guys this week. I've been praying for myself this week. I want that for you. But this idea of do our hearts really cry, Abba, Father, and see him in that way? Is it just some theological check mark that our hearts changed? Do we have this relationship with God who is a father? Is it in the fullness? I can't convince you of that. I'm not crafty enough. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to pray again, and we're going to beg for the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we need you. Um, God, as we step into the end of Galatians 3 and the, the beginning of Galatians 4, Father, you show us this picture of adoption, Lord. Would tonight not be about hearing information? Would tonight not be about uh, emotional heartstrings pulled? Please, Father, protect us from, from this just being a, a, an emotional experience or an intellectual experience. Father, would your Holy Spirit make the word of God come alive and convict our hearts that you are our dad and you love us and what the expense, the expense that you have paid for us and the effects of our relationship with you. Would you do that in this room tonight? In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, Galatians 3, uh, this is where it starts. This idea starts even in verse 26 where it says he is, uh, we are sons of God, but then in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 29, we'll throw it up here on the screen. It says this. It says, and if you belong to Christ, so if you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's. Then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So let me, let me stop and just unpack a little bit of context here. Um, what, what we have is this acknowledgement that if we're in Christ, then we are heirs of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. And so in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, uh, Abraham represented and was the father of the nation that God chose to say, these are going to be my people. Abraham is going to birth this nation of people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and these are going to be the people that I pour my blessing out on and I interact with, that I discipline and love, and I'm going to be glorified in the way that I interact with them and bless them and discipline them. And now... Throughout the Old Testament, we've come to Jesus. And so Jesus has come. He has fulfilled the, what the Old Testament said he would. He has died, buried, raised again, now in heaven, interceding, whispering in God's ear for us. And so Paul is making this argument that if we are in Christ, then we are a part of that line, that we are a part of the promise that God gave Abraham. We're a, a, it's a package deal within that. Um, so this idea of being heirs. Right, what does he mean by heirs? Which leads us into chapter four of Galatians. Chapter four, verse one. He answers what he means by heirs. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. The, the historical context is, is significant here. The historical context is this idea that 
under the Old Testament law, the rules, they were slaves. We were enslaved under that, and then Jesus comes and sets us free from that, and now we are adopted into that. This perfect timing of God in the, in the history of the world, that God, God didn't just say, oh, let's just insert Jesus here, but God, the story he's telling from the beginning of time to the end of time is, is his plan, it's his sovereign will. And this affects us. This affects us because we were slaves but we've been set free. We were slaves, but we've been set free. Let me give you an example of um, spiritual slavery that, that we are in here today. Um, we find ourselves enslaved to so many things. Uh, in my own life, I, I see it throughout, and I still constantly wrestle with it, and I still wrestle with, am, am I really walking in the freedom that I've been set free? Um, I've got so many friends. I mean, one of my best friends, uh, is really, it's a big part of his story, and that's this shackle of depression and anxiety. And man, those of you guys who are in this room, you, who struggle with that, and who, who have been attacked by that, and who are maybe feel shackled to that now, you know what I'm talking about. You just feel like a slave. You don't choose to just be down. There is a, a slavery that comes along with that, an anxiety that, that you didn't manufacture, but that, that meets you at every corner, and a depression that that is difficult to lift. And you, you do the rituals and you do the things you're supposed to do and you try to think positive and yet there is that weight over us. Lust becomes such, such a bondservant of us, such a, such a master of us. Uh, so many of us in this room have struggled with freeing ourselves from lust, whether it's, whether it's where our eyes wander, whether, whether it's uh, sexual morality and relationships. Uh, we are a slave to that. Uh, we, we have been slaves to what others think. Man, this is so convicting to me. Uh, I, am, I, I am such a slave to the idea of I care so much about what other people think. And even in, in worship, I wrestle with this idea of the song before I walk up on stage and get to preach the gospel to a room full of people I love, but a lot of them I don't know. There's this, there's this inner monologue of the enemy saying, oh man, it's really about you, Ben, and make sure you look good, and make sure it sounds good, and make sure they leave really thinking much of you. And, it, and it's this slavery that embodies, and it, and it shows itself in all kinds of different ways in our life. I mean, maybe it's money, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's substances, right? Maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's, maybe it's religion. And what I mean by that is I mean, maybe you have bought into a form of religion where uh, for you in your life, it is constantly a scale. It is constantly a scale where for every seemingly bad thing you do, you need to come over here and put good things on it. And you've created this religion of how you think God operates with you, and you have to balance the scale constantly with your good works to make sure that you're still right and justified and okay with God. And maybe you are a slave to that lie. That exhausting, exhausting lie that would tell us that we are justified by our works and by doing and by being religious enough, by measuring up rather than wholeheartedly surrendering in our faith to the grace of Jesus Christ. But now, but now we're no longer slaves. If we're in Christ and we're justified, well, then all of those things I just talked about, well, now those things we're set free from. Now we're adopted as sons. We're adopted as sons. And um, for you ladies in the room, uh, I, I want to let you know that when it says we're adopted as, son, as sons, it's not chauvinistic. In fact, it is really, really radical of Paul. 
A few verses before this, he says, neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. So Paul is saying, yes, men and women, yes, the same equal value in the eyes of the Lord. And in this context, the culture that he's writing in, a daughter wouldn't get the inheritance. So if you were a daughter in this context, if you lived 2,000 years ago in this culture, then when your dad dies, if you're a girl, you don't get anything. Only the boys get things. And so Paul, this isn't just, he's changing. No, Paul is saying, you are all sons because he wants you to know you get the fullness of the inheritance. Spiritually, you are adopted as a son because he wants you to know in this culture, now, I don't wanna say male and female here because we know what that entails. And so this was actually really radical. This was actually really countercultural for God to say, everyone is like a son. Your inheritance will be like a son. That's big. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to think, man, the Bible's so chauvinistic. That's radical. That's really radical there in this culture. So here's what I want us to spend the rest of this night doing. As we walk through the rest of the text, and we're not gonna be able to get through all of Galatians 4, we're not even gonna be able to scratch the surface of some of the depth here. I'm praying and hoping and asking and begging that you don't just rely on this sermon 30 minutes or Sunday sermon and this Sunday, this Wednesday to, to feed you, to, that you're digging in on your own, that you're in a home group studying the word of God, that you're with other believers digging into the word of God. But here's where we're gonna go. We're gonna walk through the understanding the nature of this adoption. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna really seek to see what, a, what Galatians 4 says about the nature of this adoption. So the first thing is the object of God's adoption. What is the object of his adoption? It's, hopefully, it's, hopefully it's real transparent. The object of his adoption is us. And not us as cute, perfect kids deserving you know, all, all of this adoption, but the picture is that, yes, he is adopting us, those who were enslaved to the world. All of us who, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of us, that is where his adoption is pointing to. A holy and perfect God is adopting us. A holy and perfect God shouldn't love me the way he does. He shouldn't love me the way he does, but for some reason he does. Um, my parents are missionaries in Russia, and they work with orphan orphanages over there for the last 15 years. And they have some friends who just this year adopted uh, a, a boy, a little boy from Russia. And the organization that they went through to adopt this kid, um, you, it's an organization where you can actually look online at pictures of kids. And so they'll get online and there's all these pictures of kids who are up for adoption in orphanages throughout a certain network in, uh, in Russia. And they were both scrolling through these pictures. And they came to this picture of Kolya. And when they came to this picture of Kolya, they both, the husband and wife, uh, this couple, these friends of my parents, they said, that is our boy. That's our son. Show the picture. This is the picture they saw on the internet. That's Kolya. Kolya has some major um, birth defects. Uh, Kolya has some major health issues. Um, but that was the picture they saw. There he is again. Um, that was the picture they saw, and they said, that boy is ours. Show the next one. Here they are, the first time they got to meet him, bring him a toy, spend thousands of dollars, they had to sell a couple of cars, they had to make huge sacrifices to go over to a foreign country where they didn't speak the language to adopt Kolya and bring him back into their family. <clears throat> I mean, we, I mean, this pales in comparison, right? This precious kid pales in comparison to if I'm honest with myself, what I deserve pales in comparison 
to a good God who loves me anyway. Guys, we are the object of God's adoption. Wherever you are, what Preston said at the beginning, no matter where you came into this room, no matter what baggage, no matter what your story is, no matter, well, I didn't do the whole church, churchy Christian thing until like yesterday, or maybe you're still not, which praise God you're in this room because this adoption is for you. This adoption is not for people who grew up in church. This adoption is not for the religious. This adoption is for those who God calls. I believe you're here for a reason. I believe God, I believe God wanted you in this room tonight to hear Galatians 4, that he has said, I am adopting you. You are my son. And you say, but, but, yes, I know, and I love you anyway. You are my daughter, and I love you anyway. That is the adoption of God, and it is towards us. Let's look at the expense of God's adoption. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What's the expense? The expense is Jesus. This sweet family spent thousands of dollars. People we know who have, have gone through adoption, it's expensive, it's tedious, it takes time, it's stressful, it's all kinds of sacrifices. The expense for us to be adopted by a holy and perfect and righteous God was his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That's really expensive. That is really expensive the depths that our God would go to love us. Jesus, holy, compassionate, worthy of worship, without sin. Jesus, this person who walked the earth, this God incarnate who walked our earth 2,000 years ago, we could get on a plane, we could fly where he stepped, this historic incarnation of God who is perfect and holy, hung on a cross, hung on a cross and died as the sacrifice of God because somebody was gonna have to pay for our debt. You know who deserved to pay for our debt? Who deserved to get the wrath of God? Who deserved to get the just penalty? That would have been me and you. But instead, for those who have put their faith in Christ, that's who Jesus is. And then there's me over here. There's Jesus, the cost, and then I look at myself and I think, wow. Somebody got ripped off. Except, I have to see this chasm between the goodness of Christ Jesus' sacrifice for broken people. And I, I think it should lead us to ask the question, why? Like, why would God do that? Why would God sacrifice a holy, righteous, only begotten son for a broken people who, I don't know about you, but constantly turns my back on him? Why would God do that? Um, I don't understand. I, I think the reality is, do I really understand how much this God loves me? Do I really understand the sacrifice given for me? God has paid this price. Uh, he has paid this price in, in history. We look back and we have faith in that for our salvation, our justification. Um, but we all know people who are still kind of waiting to come home to that reality. We all know people, maybe we're in this room and we're still waiting, staring at the grace of God, staring at this good news, thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm still waiting to come home. I want us to not only see the price he paid for us, I want us to see the passionate pursuit he has for us, how patient our God is as we stiff arm him. Um, another story of adoption. Drew and Emily Hill, 
uh, they work here. Um, Drew is uh, he's a worship pastor here. He's a good friend of Danielle and, and mine. And uh, they went to Haiti and saw this little three-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, they were on a mission trip, and they fell in love with this kid. He's three-and-a-half here. Uh, there they are with him. Um, and they realized, man, we're adopting this kid. This kid, they, they were stirred by the Lord. They're like, this is our boy. We're taking him home. They have spent thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, every chance they can get, they're buying plane tickets to Haiti. They're spending time with them. Uh, so that was when he was three and a half. And they began the process. And they've been filling out paperwork and going to the government and through corruption and through government turnover and through obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Their son, Tekin, is still living in an orphanage in Haiti. Show the next picture. He's going to be nine years old. They met him when he was three and a half. And he's about to be nine. They saw him and they said, this is my boy. We're going to adopt this boy. And now, almost five and a half years later, he's still in an orphanage in Haiti. And they're fighting and they're spending every expense to bring him home. To bring him home. They've, they've missed his childhood. Right now he's, he's nine, so maybe they can get him in this next year. But they have never given up. They have never stopped loving and spending and spending their Thanksgivings and their Christmases and every chance they get to go and love this boy and enter into his orphanage and sit there and say, we are your mom, we are your dad. Golly, I praise God for them. I praise God for them because they are this earthly little shadow of a picture of how patient our God loves us, how he waits for us, how so many people we know are still sitting in an orphanage and God has said, come home to me, come home to me. I praise God for that. What a powerful picture. We... Uh, we somewhere along the way have, uh, have believed this lie, I think, too, that um, maybe we're not ready to go home yet. I think so often some of us say, well, the orphanage is what I know, and I'm just not ready to go home yet. Uh, I'm just going to see what this is like for a while. Maybe when I get older, I'll go do that whole thing and surrendering to God the Father whole idea. But right now, in the spiritual context, I'm just going to live over here and do this thing and uh, I, I, we bought into some lie that that would be better. It's not. I, I believe you, if you are in that place tonight too, I don't think I need to make crafty arguments to prove to you it's not. I think you know it's not. I think if you're in this room and, and you've bought into the lie that, well, I just, I just don't know if I'm really ready to fully surrender and, and, and fully give my life to a good father, I'm just not sure if I'm really there yet and there's some things that I'm partially in but because I'm kind of keeping one foot in the world and what they have to offer, uh, I think you know. I think when those things fade of the world, I think when you're alone, I think at night, I think there are moments of clarity you have where you say, I am missing something. I am, I am designed for something more than whatever I'm chasing. What's the effects of adoption? The effects of adoption, look at verse six in, in this chapter, and I'll read it for you. It'll be on the screen. 
And because you're sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, Being an heir through God, right? We get eternity as being an heir through God. Uh, We get a life abundant here, right? This is not just about, let's make sure we punch our cards so that when we die and, and we get the the two different paths that we're gonna get to go the right one. This is a life abundant here that God has designed us for. Now, starting today, playing out tomorrow and through our life. Uh, this, is, this is a part of our inheritance here. This is the effect of adoption. We get the spirit of God. We get the spirit of God in us. The spirit of God, the, the fruit, the product of the spirit of God uh, we're going to preach about that next week. It's going to be in the next chapter. It's, it's this incredible, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of these incredible attributes. That's what we get. That's the effects of being adopted. That's the effects of leaving the orphanage and surrendering to this good father. And that's the effects we get. That's the blessing we get. And, and that idea of the spirit crying out, Abba, Father, um, some of you might have heard the word Abba defined as daddy, and that's not awful. Um, I would argue that maybe that's not the best definition for it. The word Abba, father, there's an intimacy to it, right? Which is, I think, why we go with daddy, because there's just this intimacy. But it's not baby talk, right? Abba, father is what Jesus cried out. Abba, father is a groaning. It is a groaning and a pleading. Abba, father is what we cry out when we are broken, Abba Father is what we cry out when we are at the end. Abba Father is what we cry out and groan for a God to say, Abba Father, it is an intimacy to approach this holy and awesome God. Uh, This Sunday I got to preach at the Aardvark and it was a passage that really was just about the wrath of God poured out. And it was about how big of a deal God is and how big of a deal sin is. And that awesome, worthy God, we get to approach as adopted sons and daughters. Abba, Father, we get to cry out. Do we realize the privilege we have to get to approach God? And we can approach him with everything. There's no anxiety, there's no sin, there's no doubts that we have that are too big to be able to, as a son or daughter, go to our dad and say, Abba, I'm wrestling with this. I'm discouraged. I have doubts about who you are. Then bring them to him. He is God. He can handle it. Here's what we do with the reality of our adoption, though. I've already alluded to it, but um, we run from it. Right? We run back to things that never produce life in the first place. Look at the next section of Scripture here, verse 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or, I love this line, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This is how so many of us, I would say all of us in seasons of our life, how we respond to the adoption of God. We run to sin. We return to sin. We return to legalism also. 
we turn to this legalistic system of, well, I'm going to go here and I'm going to plug in these numbers of legal. I'm going to do the right thing in the scale model of religion so that I can feel accepted and worthy based on my own good deeds. And so, so often we get to this place of discouragement and, and brokenness and we see where the orphanage, right, this spiritual picture of away from God, away from fellowship with him, and we get to this place where we're like, this sucks. You know what I'm going you know to go to? I'm going to go to this scale and it's going to make me feel better because I'm going I'm to put some pebbles over here that are going to help balance that out. And that's exhausting and that's not life-giving and that's not surrendering to this God either. And that's not faith in Jesus Christ. Um. We run back to the desert. So um, some of us who, who have put their faith in Christ, uh, we've done that. We've been justified, right? The, what I started the sermon with, we've been justified. Uh, we've been made right with God. But as far as being adopted and really walking in that relationship, we just do it in small doses. And we don't really experience the fullness of our relationship with God. We're not... We're not functioning the way we were meant to fully, and we forget and we lack confidence. We don't walk in that blessing and freedom that we're called to. Um, my wife was a kindergarten teacher, and she had a girl in her kindergarten class who was adopted uh, from an orphanage in Africa. And she was adopted from this orphanage, this, this little girl, when she was eight months old. She was an eight-month-old baby when her parents came and adopted her out of the orphanage. Kindergarten, you're like a five- or six-year-old. At five or six, uh, during parent orientation, they're, they're sitting down with, with my wife, Danielle, and they're walking her through some stuff that this little girl still wrestles with. And one of the things is she always had to have this girl, and so Danielle would always provide a snack for her out in her cubby to where she had access to a snack. Because inherent within her was still this lack of confidence that if she's eating lunch or eating uh, her snack time, that this could be the last meal she gets. Because for the first eight months of her life, it was wired into her. She was incredibly malnourished when they adopted her. She wasn't being fed. She wasn't, And so it had just been built up in her this need and this anxiety that if she didn't know if she had access to the next meal, she would take and hoard food and put it in her pockets. And this is a a kindergarten girl going to a private school, and I mean, this isn't, and yet she still lacked the confidence and the freedom that, like, I can, I can sit at this table and I can enjoy this food, knowing that, that the provider is going to continue to provide for me. But as a little kindergartner, she wasn't there yet, and, and so there had, to be, there had to be some help with that. Romans 8.15, I love Romans 8.15. It's Paul also, and he's speaking to the Romans. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Man, this powerful, powerful truth. So for those of us who have known him, who have been adopted, but we're not walking in the fullness of that adoption, would tonight, would tonight be a night that we as believers say, I wanna walk in the fullness that God has designed me to walk in. I want to walk in that freedom. I want to run towards him. I want to confess my sin. I, I want to run towards this God who has set me free. And I want to confess all the ways that I'm not. And I want to fall on my face in this good God and believe. Um, here's something else, though, that, uh, that really gets in our way with that. Um, sometimes we don't trust. We don't trust we know what a good dad looks like. Um, I recognize the fact 
that a lot of people in this room have relationships with their fathers that are broken. That's not a part of God's plan. Man, a marriage is supposed to be this beautiful picture of how the church and Jesus interact and what that looks like. A relationship between a father and his daughter, a father and his son, it should be this shadow, this, this little, little tiny picture, not perfect, but it should, it should shadow, wow, this is, this is just a glimpse of how my heavenly father loves me. That's what it's designed to be. And it's not in a lot of our lives. It's not. And, and I'm sorry. I really am. Uh, I'm sorry that, that we've been hurt. I'm sorry that sometimes when we close our eyes and, and we, we pray to our Heavenly Father, what we see is not this God. It's whatever got modeled for us in our life. It's whatever got wired in at a young age. And maybe that was abuse. God, your heavenly father, that's not who he is. Maybe it was neglect. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he wasn't there for, for reasons that were his fault. Maybe he wasn't there for reasons that weren't his fault. But our heavenly father is. Maybe it was just you couldn't do enough to please him. Right? Like maybe... It was, you just aren't quite good enough, and you just got to keep working harder. And so you now see your heavenly father as this arms crossed, finger waving, it's never good enough father. That's not who he is. And if we could come to the altar of worship tonight and say, Lord, would you heal some of that? Would you continue to heal some of that? Would you continue to show me who you are? Man, praise God that you're here Praise God that you're here. And maybe, maybe your family tree is a mess. And God said, no, it stops here. It stops now. This lineage from here on out, you are being pulled apart, set apart, and you've got grandparents and great-grandparents, and there's just brokenness and hurt all throughout there. But you're here tonight. He says, it doesn't have to do that. Today, I am taking you and I am grafting you into a new tree. And you get to be this new vine and this new branch. And I'm saying all of that stops here. That's what our God does. He redeems and he restores. And he has the authority to put, and you are here for tonight, not as an accident. And so I believe that. I believe that's what he wants for you. No matter what your family tree looks like, no matter what those patterns were set before you that have influenced and, and distorted the view of who our good God is, he says no more. Hey, you. Sweet daughter, sweet son, I've got a different storyline for you. You're going to be a different kind of father, a husband, a different kind of grandfather. I've got a beautiful storyline for you and tree for you that's going to bear fruit, that's going to glorify me because he's worthy of, of our glory. Uh, I, th I think a lot of us know that. My prayer, and it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit, is that that would go from, yeah, okay, he's a good father, to my heart is being changed. I see, I, I, I am experiencing him as a good father in a way I've never experienced him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the, tonight, there's also people, I believe, who have just not yet been there. They're just not really willing to accept that good, good father yet. And, uh, and I'm challenging you tonight to stop running, to stop running. Um, 
Russell Moore, who's an incredible author and theologian, I recommend him. He wrote a book called Adopted for Life, and there's an excerpt. He and his wife went and adopted two boys from Russia. And this is the picture, and you're going to see this theme a lot tonight, and and this is the picture that he writes. This is from his book. He says, when my wife Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over, and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons, we found that their transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out in the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. There's chapters about how awful this orphanage was for these boys. They'd never seen the sun and they'd never felt the wind. They had never heard the sound of a car door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along at 100 miles an hour down a road. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back for the orphanage. I whispered to Sergei, who's now named Timothy, that place is a pit. If you only knew what was waiting for you, a home with a mommy and daddy who love you, grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was the squalor, but they had no other reference point. It was home. You're in here tonight, and you realize, man, I've never entered into that kind of relationship with a holy God. I've never approached, I've never had the Spirit of God cry out in me as I've surrendered Abba, Father, to him. And you have lived in this orphanage. And I get it. I get so often that sin and that world we live in, I'm not an idiot. There is is pleasure there. There is very great temporary empty pleasure there. And that God tonight is saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. This is who I am for all of us, that we can see the first part of Galatians 4 and hear the voice of our God say, come to me. We are broken. We are undeserving of that. And he says, yeah, I know. That's where the gospel comes in so that you can approach me, so that you can have the spirit of me in you crying out, Abba, Father, because he is better. Would he change our hearts and we we walk in the fullness more and more, all of us, of what it means and what it looks like to be set free from those sins, to walk in the confidence that our heavenly Father, the sovereign God, is our Abba, Father, Would we walk in that confidence? Would it change how we see the world? Would it change how we see the opposite sex? Would it change how we see money? Would it change how we see ourself? Who sets our value? He sets our value. Who says you are beautiful or you are not beautiful? Our Father does. And he says you're beautiful. Who says you're worthy as a a man? He does. Would our hearts be changed by that truth? Let me pray over you. Father, as we continue in worship tonight, uh, Lord, would you continue to do this work? Would you show us tonight who you are? God, thank you for this incredible text, Lord, this incredible 12 verses that walk us through how we have been adopted by Jesus, how undeserving we are of that, but Lord, what inheritance we get, what effect there is 
when we're adopted by you. God, change our hearts. Please do that work. Would tonight we respond to your word, to your Holy Spirit? Would we leave here changed tonight? Would we be changed? Would we not leave this room and think that was fun, that was emotional, that was great? Would we leave here changed with a different identity, a confidence as, as your kids? In the name of Jesus, I pray.